0: This is A Word Fitly Spoken, by words about reading the Scripture, about preaching the Scripture, and about the mission on which the Scripture sends all of us. We hear it, A Word Fitly Spoken, aimed to give you, the servant of Christ, more and more, always, from the fullness the Lord has given us in His holy word. I'm Willie Grills, here as always with Zoe and Heidi. Joining us tonight, the Reverend Adam Kuntz. Guys, how's it going? It's going great. Good to be with you guys. Gratuitous weather posting. Has winter hit yet? (laughs) <laughs> in pennsylvania Who are, whom are you okay you're asking me
1: yeah. we had some snow it's mostly gone right now it's you know i mean it's november if you read bleak house by dickens you'll see what november is also like here well
0: that's an interesting comparison
1: <laughs> yeah 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 southern england and southern pennsylvania have kind of the same climate so foggy cold
0: Ch- Ch- chancery courts and Sir yeah, yeah. Endless,
1: endless <laughs> litigiousness. Yeah, sure. That's all there. Yeah. Orphans, the whole bit. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and if you read Dante's Inferno, you'll you'll figure out how it is up here. So,
0: <laughs> And if you read the biography of Cesar Chavez, you'll see just how it is here in my part of Iowa. Very good, guys. Good stuff. Today, we are going to talk about mission in America again. This is a perennial topic for us. We keep coming back to it over and over and until we get our point across, guys, why do we continually come back to mission in America?
1: I mean, the reason we do the weather posting is because we actually care about where we live and and everything like that. I think when people think about the word mission, it's still most common for American Christians to think of that as a word about other places that uh, missionaries go somewhere where they have to Wear strange clothing and eat strange foods. And then they come back to America and they raise money here. And then they go back to wherever they were. And then they come back home, which is then conceived of as a, a Christian place, a Christianized place, an evangelized place. And the reason we keep coming back to mission in America specifically is because America is not an evangelized or Christianized place. We're concerned about that on a local level and also on a national level, and we'll get in tonight to why we care about that. But the the basic biblical insight is that what you can see, for instance, in Acts is that churches are sending missionaries, take Antioch, both near and far, right? Because they're not assuming that their neighbors, their their literal neighbors or their neighbors 20 miles away or wherever it may be but that their neighbors are not Christianized, right? And that seems kind of obvious in Acts, but it's really not different in America. It's, it's almost like American, American Christians live in a free church situation like we've been talking about with all these Walther episodes. We're a free church. We have to make our own decisions, forge our own way. But American Christians still think like we're in a state church situation where everyone's covered somehow already, by the church and the gospel. And it's just not true. So if there's a place where the gospel remains to be heard, or where increasingly the gospel is becoming absent where it was once heard, that's what we're concerned about.
2: Yeah, I found it very interesting that there's a study done by a a missionary body in the Missouri Synod of the various counties in the United States. And it's really quite eye-opening, because Here in Western North Dakota, you would think not very many people, they've been here a long time, they're probably all Christians, but as many as 60% of the county I live in right now does not have any kind of church home. Right. And I think that's, it's just remarkable to think in those terms that six out of every 10 people that you would meet, even in, you know, far Western rural, very rural North Dakota are not attending anywhere or, or even not Christians. You know, it'd be one thing if they were Christians, but they're not going anywhere. But, you know, to not even know the name of Christ in a place like this just goes to show you how much it's needed out here, even in North Dakota.
0: Yeah, or even consider looking at the average membership roles of any church compared to actual attendance, right? Even those people who somehow managed to make it onto some official role or official document somewhere, uh, their faith just isn't there. For some people, they never even got to the point of any kind of catechesis or anything like that, no real instruction in the faith. So not only are there non-Christians on the other side of those doors in our neighborhoods, but we may well find a lot of non-Christians even in our own fellowship, in a way. And that's the real tragedy of it, that religion has become such an offering for most people, such a negotiable, really, that it doesn't even enter in. And we're talking about regular practicing Christians here, because, you know, even with those, you know, 60% or whatever that you would see who have no church affiliation, no church home, a lot of them would have at some point said, well, I've been baptized or I made a decision at some point or a commitment at some point, but they've fallen away. I think you'd find though, Willie, that
2: even with those 60%, yeah, you have the, the, the delinquents, but it's becoming more and more the case that you're seeing people who have never even ever been a part of a church in America. Oh, certainly, certainly, right? But
0: yeah. but but see, that's part of my point in in that saying that even among that number, they would you know when when you have someone, let's say, who was baptized as a child, right, or who who might have been coaxed into making a a decision at a certain point in their minds that has affiliated them with the church in some way, when in reality at times our, our idea of mission or our idea of fulfilling our vocation has become so shallow that that's seen as sufficient in a way. And and I would argue that 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 such a quick results approach to mission is not really mission at all. But no, you're absolutely right. We are increasingly seeing people who don't even have that. You know, they don't have the grandmother who insisted that her daughter baptize her child anymore, right? Or the aunt or uncle who who coaxes them into going to vacation Bible school or something like that, you know these little touches brushes with uh with religion, but more and more people are are bowing to false idols and and being wooed away by by worldly cares going to get worse you know if if things continue the way that
1: they are. I think it's important to stress that when we talk about mission, Willie, you said something that is so key that There is not a quick fix to this. That if the church is considering evangelizing what is effectively a post-Christian culture in many parts of the country, and where it is still maybe majority Christian, it's normal to be a Christian. It's that probably will not be the case in twenty years. That the church has to be patient in spreading the word, in sowing broadly, because a lot of times our Our basis for understanding how missions should work in the United States is within a cultural framework that is still Christian, where people's points of reference for morality and evaluation of what is good and what is evil are still Christian assumptions. They have borrowed those thoughts, those attitudes from Christianity, even if they don't know it. And so, evangelizing a person like that is very different from evangelizing somebody who really only knows Christianity as a bigoted, hateful relic of the past. You know, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I, I just had this today. There's a podcast that I think we all listen to, a Reformed Forum. And they were talking about when they, at the Reformation, when they changed worship practices in Switzerland. And the guy was talking about Lent in the past tense like this is what lent was and this is what they did when lent was happening you know and he was talking about it like it was the way they used to bake bread 400 years ago or something and it's weird because it's like (laughs) well it's like uh, i still do that you know (laughs) (laughs) but when you're when you're talking to somebody about christianity in the united states a lot of times their conception of christianity which they've they've probably gained from media or the internet Or things that they were told probably about, you know, the Spanish Inquisition or how the Crusades were awful or something. Their their conception of Christianity is both shallow and negative. It's not based on basically Christian assumptions that they've picked up from living in that culture. It's just kind of negative and ill informed. And that it takes a lot of time to move somebody from that place to professing faith in Christ.
0: Right. And, you know, that's part of the reason why we emphasize history so much on a uh, word fitly, because an understanding of history, a right understanding of history is essential to apologetics, because every bit of the media, every bit of education, and really more and more, nearly every branch of the government becomes hostile to Christianity and, and uses these false narratives against us. And once you repeat a lie enough times, it becomes the truth. Yep, that is right. Yep. <laughs> and so, yeah, so it's it's just a it's a lot of work, a lot of work for the pastor. It's a lot of work for the layman as well to defend the faith in the midst of fierce opposition. But let's take let's take a step back then. Come back to this idea of mission in America. It's still very much the case in many church bodies that an em- the emphasis is on international missions overseas stuff we all of a sudden become jimmy carter and want to you know kind of ignore the mess at home and and look look abroad you know for our success and so we would advocate that we should actually flip that around that your duty to love love your neighbor means the one who is actually closest to you first it doesn't mean we neglect international mission and overseas work however we would say that there is a primacy to reaching those in your own home.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, just, just to continue Bleak House, because it is November and it's my favorite Dickens novel, Bleak House has a really great example of loving those far away but not at home in Mrs. Jellybee, who is very busy all day long writing letters in order to relieve the situation of the natives in West Africa. She's constantly doing that. When she is visited by the protagonist and some of his friends, what they find instead of her altruism and and amazing goodwill and massive support of this, these worthy overseas efforts. I mean, it's never questioned that what she's doing is helpful to somebody, but her children themselves are constantly crying and they're dirty and they're t- constantly hungry, and she never cooks anything for them. She's not taking care of them. So she may love very much people she's never met and never will meet, but she's failing to love those who are right in front of her. It's sort of a missions version of how can you say that you love God whom you have not seen when you do not love your brother whom you have seen. If you don't understand that your actual neighbor in your neighborhood needs the gospel. How can you claim to care so desperately about the gospel for people whom you will never meet when you are starving the man down the street of the bread of life? So the reason that mission in in America is urgent is not out of some chauvinism or some, you know, jingoistic attachment to America complete with, you know, exploding fireworks and Eagles carrying star spangled banners. I mean those those may be your personal aesthetics or they may not. It doesn't really matter. It's it's be it's simply because we're here. It's simply because we're here.
0: And I would just add, and these are our people that God, that God has called us to be in, around, and of. But first but first and foremost, yeah, it's because we're here. We we labor in the place that God has placed us. But at the same time, I do want to stress an actual love and affection for neighbor love and affection for for your people, your fellow citizens.
2: Even even in the book of Acts, you have Christ himself commanding the mission to begin in Jerusalem. So it's not like Jesus said, you know, okay, you need to go to Rome first and then come (laughs) back. No, he says, (laughs) begin where you are.
0: It's not like Jesus said, well, they already have the word. They didn't receive it, obviously. See, look at my side and my hands. So you guys need to move on now passing showers and such. <laughs> I think
1: that the only reason to neglect mission at home is because of a a presumption that the church will always be here, that the gospel will always be here and that it all got here just kind of by osmosis or historical happenstance. And when you when you read about early missionaries in America, the the sacrifices that people made in order to reach people on the frontier, at the various stages of the frontier moving westward, or the labors that people had, you know, preaching in in barns and open fields and wherever they could get an audience. You understand how much work it took to get the relative density of Christian churches in the United States that we do possess. So it's important to understand that complacency only ever exists as a kind of spiritual sickness and that complacency did not build any of the things that we currently enjoy to the extent that we still enjoy being the church in the United States.
0: Yeah, you know, even if there was some hypothetical situation where Christian dominion has become so successful that society is, for all intents and purposes, Christianized, there would still be a need to continue to preach the gospel. There would still be a need to call people to repentance and to declare the good news of Jesus Christ. So in times of of much and, and in times of little, our work is, is very much the same. Our optics and our tactics at times have to change. And I don't mean tactics in a sort of a loaded church growth sense. It's just the fact that you'll preach to a lifelong Christian much differently than you will a uh, pagan who's never heard the first word of scripture. Yeah. That's all I mean by that. Right. So then what do you you say to the people who would say, well, our priority then should be global. They appreciate what you're saying, but you're really being myopic when you only look at your your own neighborhood, city, county, and state or country. Yeah,
1: the question is, you know, in missions is always a question of limited resources. That's why when the Lord commands us to pray about missions, he prays for a greater number of laborers, because you always have limited resources, limited men, limited money, limited time. So the question there is not so much, does this mean that we just don't care about anywhere else in the world? And the answer is, of course not. The, The actual question is, can we expect the rest of the world to care about us and our nation and our people if we don't? And the answer is, of course, we can't expect them to care if we don't care more. I mean, it's 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 great to help the Macedonian who says, come over here and help us. But that is not a reason to neglect the people in need of help on our own streets, in our own towns, in our own nation. So it's not really a question of pitting national missions against international missions. It's a question of, if you are a Christian in America, God has given you an amazing opportunity to preach the gospel in America. And that's what you want to be about, first of all, and then you can see what you have to share with the church worldwide. But you can't expect the church worldwide to wake up one day And do the work in America that needs to be done when you yourself are not fervent in doing
2: it. I was just thinking of the example of Philip in Acts chapter 8. After he baptizes the Ethiopian, he's traveling north again as he's continuing on his mission. But we're told that he preaches in every village that he comes to on his way. (laughs) <laughs> and yeah. I think that that's actually quite helpful for us because it shows that care and concern for, you know, the people that are actually in front of us, even as we're going out into the world, right? So Philip has a concern yeah. for the rest of the world, the external, you know, beyond Jerusalem, but he's also concerned about everyone along the way as he's going.
1: That's a great point. And I, I think that the basic assumption of the church of the healthy part of the church in the book of Acts is that mission is an activity in which the church is constantly engaged. So it would therefore be natural for any church anywhere in the world, but in this specific case, a church in the United States of America to be really concerned about proclaiming the gospel in the United States of America, because it is here. It's not located just anywhere in the world. It's not in Tanzania or China or Hungary. It's in the United States, so that's why it needs to be concerned about proclaiming the gospel right here.
0: All right, we're going to take our first break. We'll be right back with more Word Fiddly. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all them that trust in Him. The book that sits on your shelf, The One Gathering Dust, word fitly spoken, asks you to once again take up and read. Hear the words of the only wise God and be safe. We'll be right back. We are back. You are listening to Word Fitly, Willie Grills, Elwin Heidi, Adam Kuntz talking mission in America. Now, as alluded to in segment one, we are seeing the increased secularization of American culture. As the culture slides into degeneracy, so too does the church in many respects. Now, this isn't an invisible, you know, not the invisible church, but you know, the church as a as a physical entity, as a Nonprofit organization, shall we say, is becoming increasingly secularized. Now, we understand that in a political sense. But, guys, what do we mean when we say that the church is becoming secularized?
1: Secularization is a process of gradual devolution out of some kind of model of life shaped by Christianity and, especially, by Christianity's supernatural claims and worldview on the basis of scripture. As it developed in the West within the early modern period, secularization, which has continued to pace in especially Northern Europe and North America, as well as the Anglophone colonies, Australia and New Zealand. Secularization is a movement into a way of being in which nothing has any particular reference to the transcendent or the supernatural. And by nothing, I want to stress not just people's daily lives, like they go through their whole life, their job, their marriage, family, everything, and they never kind of, quote, come back to church or become in a former day's parlance seekers. They may have some spiritual practices in the sense that things like Reiki healing and crystal healing are bigger in Portland than they are in Nashville. But secularization is not not only individual life, but corporate life, public life, the government, public organizations, education, having no references whatsoever to religion, the transcendent, any kind of God, anything like that. And this is hotly debated within the academy about what the meaning of secularization is and and how exactly it takes place, but it's fact within especially Northern and Western Europe and North America and Australia and New Zealand is, I think, indubitable. Scholars will talk about different secularisms, what happens when in a Muslim country, people become less interested in religion just generally. And that looks different than in, you know, if we're talking about Northern or Western Europe or North America, mainly Protestant countries. But the draw away from religion, having any reference, anything to do with life whatsoever is what I mean and what many mean when they talk about secularization.
0: Okay. So then what does that look like in the church today?
1: In the church, that means that we, I I, I think, I think we especially have trouble conceiving of what to do with it because it feels like when we're evangelizing people, we have to introduce them to a whole, you know, it's, it's, it's like selling steak knives. You know, I, I, I have never really worried over much about the sharpness of my steak knives. Maybe that's a personal failing of mine.
0: Adam but, only eats hamburger steaks. So.
1: Yeah. I only eat hamburger steaks. Yeah, I mean, I'm just whatever. I mean, I actually only eat at Chick-fil-A, so it's like, it's not a big deal, you know? <laughs> Any fasts on Sunday works out great. I, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> at least before communion. So it's all good. And you, but so if you came up to me and you're like they're made in Japan and they're used by these hibachi chefs or something, it's like it, it really doesn't matter to me, you know. And I think when I, I think a lot of times when the church, the church knows how to talk to people about things like what are you going to do with your with your fear of dying or 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 do you have trouble believing that God loves you? Well, that's not really a question for a lot of people. I mean, in in a secularized society, a lot of people are. Never wandering about the things that the church is talking about on Sunday morning, and it has a lot of things to offer to people that the church historically was almost uniquely offering, like social cohesion, interesting public discourse, a framework for how to think about the events that happen in your life. You know those sorts of offers are available in a multitude of places. I mean they don't you don't have to go to the pastor to get those kinds of, that, that kind of advice or provision of some kind of outlook for how to organize your life. You can get that kind of anywhere. So I think secularization within the church involves not only our own complacency within a society that tolerates us but finds us irrelevant. It also means that we don't really know what to do because we don't know how to make people care about something that they've really never thought about. I you know I think I think that there are good answers to what we do do about that but I think that that's kind of just to start off the discussion that's the problem we're left with we really don't we don't know what to do about it it's unfamiliar it's strange and it feels artificial to try to make people care about god or christ or justification or any of the terms that we use when they seem basically interested in fulfilling their consumer desires
0: but that's the case for even Many sitting in the pews. They are concerned with the same things that "quote unquote" secular society is concerned with. That's what that's what's creeped in. You know, it goes back to our Walther discussions a little bit, especially when we talked about the church and and charity, where the church served as that communal hub. As you say, you know, we we no longer have it. The reason why it doesn't serve that today is partially because of all the competition, but at the end of the day, it's because. So many would rather look for these things elsewhere. You know, they want to get together and sell handbags or press on nails and find fellowship there and find some sort of ad hoc counseling there. Or I don't know, do people still have bowling leagues? Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Or, you know, maybe it's some, you know, esoteric closed Facebook group or some sort of subreddit. You know, there's all sorts of different, different ways that people find each other and connect and huddle. In this day and age.
2: Well, I I think it's interesting too. I mean, you're you're mentioning how people just don't even really care anymore. Like it doesn't even enter into their consciousness. I think the reason maybe why we're struggling with that so much as the church is because it is, in a way, a very new thing. I mean, if you think about like the very early part of church history when the church was a minority. They were still trying to speak the gospel to a, a people who at least believed in something like, you know, they, they thought of divine forces. And so you get these really interesting contests where it basically becomes my God can defeat your gods. And that's mm-hmm. why you should believe in it mm-hmm. to the Middle Ages, where everyone is, you know, at least nominally Christian. And so you can sort of assume that, you know, they have all the same references, all the same framework. But now when we get into our own age where it's increasingly the case, like you say, they don't even think about in terms of transcendence, they don't even Mm -hmm. think about beyond their own lives. It's how do, how do we speak to that? I mean, what do we do? And I, I think about this and
1: I, I try, I mean, it's getting obviously farther back in the past, the more, you know, the longer I live. But when I think about the time before my own conversion, I can look back and see a great deal of meaninglessness in my life and an inability to understand what I was doing or why I was doing it or why I thought what I thought. And part of that was just youth. But part of it too was that my life was still charged with transcendence and good and evil. But I did not have a vocabulary for those things because I was not a Christian. So I neither understood myself nor did I understand others, much less God. So I think part of the church's calling within a secular society is to provide in proclaiming the gospel, in teaching the truths of the Bible. You're providing people with a way of being fully human in a way that is unknown to someone for whom the sky you know, is, is never heaven. It's not something God made they just, they just never think about it. A, a secular life is, is a life where the sun never comes out. You know what I mean? You're still alive, but you never see all the colors that are there. You don't know what things truly are. And you never have the sense of joy or God's provision, his, his grace, his, his wonders in Christ that you do once you become a believer. So I think, I think that that is a transition and and also probably part of my passion for this subject because i grew up in rural america you know i'm i'm not from either portland maine or portland oregon which are t- two of the most secular cities in the country and i i grew up you know not in church with with really no frame of reference so these folks are everywhere they're absolutely everywhere and i think that what we're giving people when we're giving them the gospel is really a sense, you know, of what Jesus calls life and and that abundantly. We're giving them a true existence in God that you cannot have without him. And and they're missing in a life which is focused only on themselves.
0: Yeah, and it's something that can only come about, you know, this illumination, can only come about through the proclamation of the word and through the work of the Holy Spirit. When our Lord Jesus Christ refers to natural man— or to men apart from conversion as blind. I mean, he really means it, and you've certainly echoed it there. And to be blind, I mean, it's it's to say that they can't see what they're doing, and they certainly can't see what they're missing. And to say that they're deaf means that they're not going to be able to, to receive it apart from some from some miraculous work within them. Now, we we would like to see the preaching of the word work like it does early in Acts, right? where people are, are just cut to the quick, pierced to the heart, and convert. But we're in an age now where it, it's going to take, and I think this has been true throughout all of church history in most cases, to where it is going to take slow, deliberate teaching and repetition and, and effort, and and you're going to see people come and then disappear for a while, and then we pray for them, and the Lord brings them back, that sort of thing. It's 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 almost like teaching a child. It's exactly like teaching a child. Mm-hmm. When your son or daughter like let's say you're you're trying to teach them to tie their shoes, right? They're probably not going to get it the first time or the second time or the third time. And it becomes a little frustrating. Or when you're trying to teach your son or daughter to your child to be good and to practice good habits, you know, guys, is that is that easy? Does it come naturally? No. It it, it takes this. And yet, and then you'll see him regress. You'll, you'll think, man, my, my kid's doing really well. He's, he's doing this and he's doing what he ought to do. And then the next day, it's like a complete and total reversal. It's like they never learned to begin with. So we need to be to be ready for that and to expect frustration. I think what happens a lot of times is that a pastor will basically take questions or any pushback as some kind of an affront Wait, wait! What do you mean you don't you don't believe this? You have questions about this? Didn't I read the catechism to you? Didn't I sing this hymn? What's not clear? <laughs> and we have to remember that we're fundamentally changing the way that this person is thinking. Their entire world is being turned upside down and reshaped by the Word of God. That takes patience and and practice and a lot of grace. <laughs> You know, but, but that does, that, that happens, you know, and, and, and we can fall into that trap too, just as easily. Like, well, how is this not clear to you? Well, once again, we're talking about a complete reorientation here. You know, you wonder with society as secularized as it is, you know, what are the hope, what's the hope of taking a new convert from a spiritual babe to a believer who, who is now craving meat and it's really an uphill battle. It's really an uphill battle. And I don't want to turn this into just an academic exercise or or merely a classroom exercise either, because there does need to be a bold and oftentimes public preaching of the law and the gospel. Now, would you guys agree with that? I know it doesn't quite work as well. You know, this isn't Whitfield days, but do you still think there's a place for the public proclamation speaking truth to power where we have to in current year America?
1: I mean, I, I think I think it really depends on what your public setting is. You know, I mean, if you will be listened to when you're doing that public proclamation or if it is just the case that, you know, as I do when I see people in, you know, Philadelphia or Lancaster or whatever, I I just walk by them. You know, I'm not going to stop and listen. There's a guy that actually does that on the the campus that I attend in Philadelphia, and it's a public university, so he can come there. And he's just kind of infamous among the students. I mean, nobody listens to him. They just make fun of him. I don't I don't know if he'll be effective. I I just haven't seen it so far.
0: Well, I mean a lot of that a lot of that kind of thing has been ruined by crackpots and, and, and uh and other various and sundry hucksters too. So Yeah. I don't want but I don't want to lump all that into, but it does seem that we're coming more and more to a time where we're going to have to be bold about this. And and honestly preaching is foolishness to those who are perishing. Now that doesn't mean we need to go out and be fools ourselves. But even if you're faithfully proclaiming the word in public in some context, and again, not necessarily talking about street preaching here, even even if you're doing it in some public context, the world is still going to ridicule you.
1: Yeah. No. I guess I guess what I where I wanted to go with that was the point that you made about taking time with people, and that that is the role of the the missionary, the evangelist, understanding the people whom he's evangelizing, and and the context that he's in, and what different words sound like to people in that context. And that's, you know, that's what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 9, when he talks about his mission strategy of becoming as a Jew to the Jews, as a Greek to the Greeks, that he's sensitive to these things. And he's able to, and, and Paul is kind of, he's not utterly unique, but he's unusual in his ability to cross cultures. It seems that Most often, both in the New Testament and certainly in church history, it's the case that the most widespread evangelism happens when people from within that culture, from that place, Americans to Americans, Hungarians to Hungarians, Turks to Turks, evangelize one another. There's a lot of examples of this that I can think of, but it seems most effective not when we wait for someone to come from somewhere else to help us. But if we are aware of the gospel to begin at home evangelizing our own, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about the example of Ethiopia under persecution under the communist regime called the Derg. Ethiopia had been a place that Protestant missionaries had been working in for 80 or 90 years, at least, by the time the Derg came to power. And they had had some success, but it wasn't out, outstanding. But the key thing is that evangelism was the job Of the European and and after the Second World War, American missionaries. And they left when the Derg came to power. And the church was both forced underground and forced to rely on its own resources for spreading and for maintaining the faith. All the Protestant churches grew under communist persecution in Ethiopia. And I think part of that is that people from within that culture, you know, in the Lutheran case, it's largely the, the Oromo culture, which is particularly large people group in, in Ethiopia. People with, from within a culture, from within a place understand what a new convert's hangups are going to be and what his concerns are going to be and how he's going to hear certain biblical words and understand certain biblical concepts and how he's going to need to be taught to you know come more into line with the Bible in this or that area of his life. So I think that when we're talking about mission to America, we're, we're also saying that We're the ones who are living through the secularization, in many cases, have come out of it ourselves. We're the ones who live in this culture, who know the references, who know what people know about Jesus and what they don't. So we're the ones who are positioned best by the Lord to evangelize the people that we live with. And and that's an opportunity. I I don't want to look at anything about the future of the church in the United States as some sort of horrendous, you know, the sky is going to fall and it's all going to be awful. We're always looking for the opportunities that God lays before, before us, and, and I think this is this is the one in our lifetime.:
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we don't want a black pill when it comes to the future of the church. The church of, the, of our Lord Jesus Christ actually is constantly growing, and the gospel is going out into all the world, even into our communities, and especially where God has placed faithful shepherds, faithful preachers, to proclaim it. Maybe we should look at it that way and and always keep in mind that the increase is God's, that we are co-laborers in the vineyard, and that we have something stronger than any secular talking point, than any website, than any clandestine secularist groups on, on either side of the spectrum. We have the Word of God. We carry that with us wherever we go, and how beautiful are the feet of those who bring it. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. The mission of Word Fitly Spoken is to put the Word of God at the center of all of life. To find out more, check us out at wordfitlyspoken.org. We are back. You are listening to Word Fitly. Willie Grills, Zoe and Heidi, Adam Kuntz talking Mission in America. Well, as we're coming to our last segment, I guess the only question left is, what do? <laughs> <laughs> what, <laughs> the, what the perennial
1: we... question of educated men, what do? <laughs> yeah.
0: So, right. yeah? So as far as Mission <laughs> in America goes, what can we do and what ought we do?
1: I hope that nothing we're going to say in this segment sounds trite to anyone. I, The thing that I always worry about in talking about mission or when we say another thing that Word Fitly Spoken talks a lot about is reading the Bible. You know, it's like we're, we're always talking about this stuff, but the reason we are is not because we find it trite, but because we find it rare. So the stuff that we're talking about in this segment is we're not saying just for our own health or because we like to repeat repeat ourselves it's because we think it's basic and important it's sort of like fundamentals right you can have memorized the whole playbook but if you didn't work out you're not going to be a very good football player you know it's just that's just the facts
0: adam, adam just made a sports reference
1: well <laughs> i yeah sports i actually am comfortable with it's it's all other facets of pop culture that are that are beyond me, but what what are you going to do? That's
0: pop culture, my friend. That's
1: true. Okay. There we go. So, Hey, you know, I'm pretty good. Uh, You should start
0: wearing skinny jeans now. Yeah. For the
1: 1840s, I'm, I'm pretty with it.
0: What do you got? And You got the haircut of, you know, the 19 aughts. Yeah. 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 I'm,
1: I'm well on my way to the present day.
0: And certain other countries from the thirties. So I mean, it's pretty good.
1: Yeah, we're doing okay. (laughs) So the, the first thing that, that we want to mention is that when you're thinking about missions, all of this is in God's power. Therefore, the f- the place to begin with missions is with prayer. And when I was considering getting going with the church plant that my church is working on, I read, you know, a bunch of books about church planting, and they all said, you have to pray all the time. And I thought, why? You could be busy meeting people or, you know, I mean, it's like, yeah, I have to pray. That's fine. I'll pray, you know, once or twice. or But it, but Praying all the time, why should I do that? Well, the reason to do that and the reason for anybody to do that, even if you're not personally planting a church, is because you are commending this amazing giant thing into God's hands and saying, He will take care of it. And that not only gives you a different perspective on things, but it also means that you are keeping in the forefront of your own mind and at the top of your heart the idea that is very biblical, that it is God's will that his church should grow through the preaching of the gospel, also here. So the reason to start with prayer is because it's basic to understanding truly what God wants to happen in the world. You're going off of his word, you're going off of his command to teach all things, teach him to observe all that he has commanded us, you're, you're taking from his word, you're taking sh- his his express will that the nation should glorify his name and praise him, and you are turning that into prayer and saying, glorify your name among the nations, proclaim your gospel, proclaim your mercies, do that here, do that for my neighbor down the street. You're taking those things in prayer, and that that affects you, that affects the church, and ultimately that affects your neighbor because the prayer of a righteous man avails much.
0: Zone, any comments?
2: No, I mean I think I think that's right on the money because if we aren't in prayer and if we aren't expressing our dependence upon God in all things let alone for church planting, I mean we're we're just trying to do it on our own and without him we we can do nothing.
1: Right. And and I think that sometimes when people talk about missions it becomes quickly jingoistic because we we confuse excitement with zeal for the Lord. Zeal for the Lord grows out of his word and it grows out of a life of prayer not just a prayer life some segment of your life where you pray but a life in which everything that you do is commended to god your zeal comes out of an understanding of what it is that god wants both in you and for you and in the world and what god wants is for his gospel to be proclaimed. There's an urgency that the apostles have about the gospel when they're saying now is the day of salvation. They're saying that because they understand that Jesus can return at any time. And when he brings his kingdom in its fullness with him, he wants to find faith on the earth. He wants all tribes and peoples and languages to glorify him. So that urgency is not born out of a, some kind of false excitement that we have to work up in ourselves. That zeal for the Lord and for his work and for his mission comes out of his word. And we we grasp that. We realize that more and more in our lives through prayer. So uh, prayer on the basis of, of God's word is really the driver in missions.
2: Well, and it, it shapes us just like being in the word shapes us so that uh when we are listening to God, when we are praying to Him, when we are having a life of prayer, as you so aptly put it, then we can't help but do these things that He would have us do right if we're if we're engaging in prayer and it doesn't actually change anything i mean that's that's a loaded way of putting it, but i think i I think you get what i mean here if if our will is not being conformed to His through prayer, through the Bible, through all of these things, then what are we doing right?
0: It's obvious, you know we're doing a work that is not his if it's not you know in yeah. informed in yeah. to his will, so how then do we learn about the faith? How do we know what to preach so we're praying, but we're not praying in isolation, we're not waiting for um some mystical revelation to come upon us right
1: yeah yeah we're we're praying out of his word on the basis of the things that he promises that he threatens. That he shows that he reveals in his word. We're praying on the basis of that. And then, but then our prayer returns to his word and illuminated by the Holy Spirit for whose gifts we pray. We can now see more clearly, more urgently, more fully what it is that Jesus Christ means for the world. And if I can relate this in very personal terms, there are periods of spiritual dryness or a kind of spiritual going through the motions with which any Christian will be familiar. And and I think every pastor will be familiar. There are times when you are doing what you're supposed to do, but it just doesn't, it's not as urgent as at other times. The times when my desire to share the gospel or to find the lost or to bind up the wounds of the hurting, you know, and all those beautiful images from Ezekiel 34. Those are the times when I am most fully aware, because I am most often in God's word, of what it means that Jesus Christ took on flesh and died on the cross and rose from the dead. And again, all that just sounds so basic, but it is simple yet profound, that any of those things happen, that God has done those things for you. It's amazing. And so when I'm meditating on God's word and when I'm meditating on the works of God, which he does for mankind, which he loves so amazingly and utterly in Christ, that understanding of what the good news is drives me to share it, to want everyone to have it, to want others to have the same kind of illumination that the Holy Spirit has given me. So you not only pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, but you also need to know the good news so that you can share it. If you don't know it, there's going to be no reason to share it. And even if you know that you're supposed to share it, which a lot of our Lutheran people do know that. I mean, to our credit, people know that they are supposed to share the gospel. Now, that's different from whether or not they know what the gospel is, and it's different from whether or not they do it, but they know that they should, right? Missions is a pretty, you know, uncontroversial topic in and of itself, right? If I if I write a resolution to the Synod Convention in favor of mothers and reading the Bible and missions, you know, there's going to be, I mean, Well, maybe one person votes against it because he doesn't know how the machines work. But I mean, that resolution, (laughs) that resolution is going to be pretty much unanimous, right? Nobody's against missions in our Lutheran churches. What they might be concerned about is, well, what do I do or what do I say? And what we're saying is the more that you are in God's word, the better an evangelist you will be because a good evangelist is simply somebody who knows the good news extremely well. He knows the evangel. The evangel makes evangelists of us,
0: right? And if you're, stooped, if you're steeped in God's word, you don't have to worry about getting the latest uh, missions manual or the latest book from whatever guru right. is out there. Yeah, Lifeway Christian to- Resources available at lifeway.com. Yeah, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Donate to Wrestle <laughs> More with this button. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. We don't need to, and we don't need to stoop to that level. Let the word work. But how do we let the word loose? By knowing it and by proclaiming it. Technology, printing press, everything else, all that aside, the word is still very much an oral thing. It's meant to be preached. It's meant to be proclaimed. So our study of it, you know, enables, equips us for that proclamation. And it seems very nuts and bolts to kind of say that. But nevertheless, here we are because, because we need to. Some men with great intentions and great sincerity are always trying to find that, that new thing because nobody's pointing them back to the one thing needful. Yeah. Nobody's, you know, and, and, it's, and it's not their fault necessarily because every, all these voices around them and, and sometimes men in authority over them are saying, no, you need to find this book. And then three years later, oh, have you read this? Have you seen this video series? It's really a big hit with the youths or whatever. <laughs> when they really ought to be pointed right back to the word and to be reminded that the word is sufficient.
2: Well, I mean, if you want to use a practical example, if I were to witness something that happened in the world, and let's say it's something especially noteworthy, I don't need to continuously study the methods of how to talk about these things or how to proclaim it. I just need to think about what it is I have actually seen and experienced. And often when we're not overly worked up about it, we will find the words and we'll communicate that message effectively. Now, is it important to think about how we do things? Of course it is. Sure. But when we have the the zeal that comes from just being knowledgeable, just comes from being excited about something, you, you'll find the way. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, th- 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 think important. about
0: how, you know, the death of Stan Lee <laughs> is apt here. All of a sudden, everybody was a comic book nerd for about three days. And all of a sudden I, everybody was. I beg your pardon, they, but but continue. <laughs> and they wanted to tell us all about their favorite superhero and why and why I should care and why it should matter. And and you see this with movies, films, TV all, all the time. Everybody's excited to tell you that they were watching Breaking Bad. You know, every every white person wanted to tell you about the wire or breaking bad. Uh, right? <laughs> or or whatever's popular today. People get excited about it, they learn the ins and outs of it. You know these these sort of fake pop culture mythologies. I want to let you know, even clergymen fall into that trap, and they talk about it so much because they're excited about it in a admittedly different way, but they're really into it, and they really want you to be into it too. Even though I don't really care who is the Gray Hulk or the Red Hulk or whatever, but you know, bless them, (laughs) they 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 want to make you part of that world. If we could just capture a little bit of that zeal. If we could capture a little bit of that remorse for Stan Lee and turn it into remorse for those who've not yet heard, or for the er- er- erring and wayward, if we could take a little bit of that zeal for memorizing all the characters of Lord of the Rings and then allegor- allegorizing it back into the faith somehow instead of World War One, if we could just take a little bit of that zeal, and a little bit of that remorse, I-, I think I think we might be we might be okay. We might be on the right track.
2: And and, and of course, it always sounds again kind of. Right, as as Adam was, has been emphasizing here, to say, well, we should be excited about these things, but you know, the truth is, is that if we are in the Word, the Word has this amazing power because it is a living Word because it is the voice of the Holy Spirit. That the more that we are in it, the more that we desire to be in it. Yeah, it's right. it's unlike any other any other writing ever. I mean, you can read Dickens. I mean, I suppose you read it. Probably several. T- you've probably read that book several times, haven't you?
1: Devotionally, know. let's be yeah. honest. <laughs> and, and you know,
0: if you guys, if and if you guys haven't picked up on it, we're not coming down on you for having hobbies or for reading fiction or anything like that. That's not why I poke you with a sharp stick. Okay, that's not the point. Right. Here. It's it's fine. You can enjoy those things. So don't don't you right. know don't get magic flute voice and leave us a hateful voicemail or anything like that. It's a it's okay but I was but I
2: was just going to say but when we are in the word and when we're devoting ourselves to the bible and to the li- listening to the living voice of the holy spirit the the zeal will come yeah you might have periods of spiritual dryness like you said Adam and that's part of god's shaping us into who he he wants us to be but he will give us the power to do these things
0: and we keep coming back to this subject folks because we care about The mission to America. We want Americans to hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to continue to revisit the subject over and over. Word fitly spoken was founded for you know two express purposes. To see the gospel spread, but also to encourage, remind, and admonish pastors that the Bible, first and foremost, is our authority. That is the well that never runs dry. It is the uncapped font of God's. Wisdom, So to always go back to those two subjects, the scriptures, above all, and the proclamation of the gospel to all, especially to those closest to us. Now, one of the major ways in which we uh, support preaching of the gospel is the actual literal preaching of the gospel. However, we also support faithful missions and missionaries most of the word fitly spoken crew are involved in in plant church planting you know to some degree but none quite so involved as reverend Zelwyn Heidi here so Zelwyn tell us a little bit about your work in north dakota
2: <laughs> just setting it up there all right <laughs> yeah just
0: teeing it up i want people just to know teeing it because, up. because folks this is this is the great commission happening you know right before you here so i mean in north you know in north, in dakota, north dakota right
1: Right right before four people
2: yeah, those four
0: people yeah. are <laughs> seeing it yeah
2: well the the work that that the Lord has called me to do in western North Dakota is to bring the gospel to a, a pretty wide-ranging area I mean I guess I'm not really exaggerating when I say that people are are spread out out here and on top of that, dealing being in the middle of the de Bakken oil boom has changed the the face of this area to to a large extent but not completely so that there are a lot of people in this area who are either not part of a church or or who have never heard the name of Christ in any in any appreciable way like i mentioned earlier in the episode some 60% of this county that i live in which incidentally is about the same size as the state of delaware but that's that's neither here nor there some 60% is I have I've never heard of Christ, or at least are not going anywhere. And so there is a, a great need, even across these great distances, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.
0: What, what do you want me to add to that, Willie? Um, well, no, that's, that's very good. Who supports the mission?
2: We have been receiving support from the district up to this point, but now we are becoming self-supporting. And so we are looking forward into the future about, you know, how that's going to work and the, the kind of work that needs to be done and, and picking up new avenues for proclaiming the gospel and getting into the communities that we haven't done before. And I think... Sure. So if I
0: could translate your polite Norwegian, <laughs> you're 100% relying on the support of donors.
2: Now. Yeah.
0: And now, and you're raising your own support and and we you want to see people uh, true or false you want to see you know people partner with you so that we can get the gospel out to the to the good folks in the oil fields of North Dakota
2: well of course yeah i mean it would it would be nice to to find those partnerships and to talk about you know what needs to be done to help support this mission because i mean things will be a little tight
0: sure so if people want to learn more where do they go do you have a website
2: yeah our website for the the three churches that i serve although that is always kind of spreading out is badlandslutheran.org
0: and we will we'll put a link to that somewhere in the show notes i'm sure
2: sure and that that talks about the two churches that i serve and then also the the mission itself in uh watford city
0: so, so zellen when you're when you're riding your circuit what's an average trip for you in miles and in t- and in time on
2: Sunday, or what are we talking about? Just,
0: yeah, okay. What's a typical Sunday look like for you? Sunday would be approximately 150 miles. So you're driving 150 miles on a Sunday. Right. What about to visit your shut-ins and, and to just make general pastoral visits?
2: Currently, the three that I have take me about 230, 250, somewhere in there.
0: Yeah, so what what would that be in hours, just...
2: Oh, just in terms of sheer hours. I mean, it would be well. It depends on how fast you drive, right? Uh, three, uh, three to four hours just driving.
0: Yeah. So you're looking at, you know, three or four hours of travel. You know, in 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 modern day America, just to care out your vocation and go and do that. And uh, a lot of people. What's what's always the joke? You know, seminary placement interviews and just before call night, they 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 pretend that Western North Dakota is some kind of no man's land, and it's kind of ridiculed. Like you don't want to go out that way. Well, the Lord put the Lord did send Zewin out that way, and why? Because those people need to hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it takes someone with a lot of nerve and a lot of zeal to make a four hour trip in a North Dakota winter, you know, <laughs> and I'm not trying to toot his horn here, and he always has his bearskin in his trunk, I'm sure but this is this is the kind of work you are seeing a, an evangelist going out running his, you know, wearing out his odometer, uh, hopefully not wearing out the gas pedal too much, but, um, <laughs> you know, going out and doing that. And, you know, I, we would like to see, you know, you guys check it out, go to the website, see what they're doing. See if it's something that you would like to support, certainly be praying for the mission there in North Dakota. And if you decide you want to commit more than that, I'm sure that Zelwyn would not refuse. Guys, any last words before we uh, close out this episode? Thanks for having me, guys. I would say that if you have
1: a, a beating heart within you and you understand what, what light Christ has brought into this world by his by his coming, you want to support missions like Zelwyn's because you know how costly and precious Christ's blood and, and death and resurrection are for you. And you know that you want to support anyone like Zelwyn who is giving that to other people, giving them the very light of life.
0: Remember, folks, how then can they call on the one in whom they've not believed, and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard, and how can they hear without a preacher? This has been a Word Fitly Spoken. If you like what you heard want to learn more, check us out, wordfitlyspoken.org, facebook.com slash wordfitly, or Twitter at wordfitly. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi and Adam Kuntz. God love you, and God bless.